American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Now that Lewis and I have talked to you about the dynamics of the Malthusian world, the era in which human beings had agriculture but did not have industry, uh, they had the ability to support larger populations, but they didn't have the ability to create rapid economic growth. Now that we've done that, what I'm going to do is move us very quickly through vast spans of history, and I have to apologize for doing so. There are some fascinating subjects that we simply can't, can't cover, uh, but uh, what we want to do is get the story up into the second millennium of the Common Era because that's when some things are going to start to change and we're going to start to see some of the groundwork getting laid for what would ultimately be the Industrial Revolution and the rise of modern capitalism. So let's go back to that era where human beings had first started to invent agriculture. And that's something that happens at different points around the world. But in generally, uh, generally it, it happens between about 8,000 BC and 1,000 BC in a variety of places. So we could look at the river valleys of eastern China, uh, the Indus River Valley uh, along the border between Pakistan and India today, the Fertile Crescent in what is today Iraq and Syria, the Nile River Valley, uh, and also Mesoamerica, today's Mexico, uh, today's Peru, and a couple of different areas in Africa as well. So that happens many places around the world. But there are a few places where it happens a little bit earlier than others, and in those places, by about 3000 BC, we start to see the emergence of large states. And here we're looking at Egypt, uh, we're looking at Sumeria, uh, that's the Fertile Crescent, we're looking at the Indus River Valley, and we're looking at China. In all these places, it seems that large states start to emerge as rulers are able to uh, assert some kind of control over the agricultural surpluses that are created by populations, and many different things that are going to be characteristic for the next few thousand years start to emerge. So these states appear, uh, large-scale religious practices, often with temples and pyramids and, and uh, these, these sorts of infrastructural uh, creations also appear, and they're evidence that we have a very organized society. And if we dig down, sometimes literally digging down into the, the piles of rubble that are left when these civilizations, civilizations collapse, we find that they've also invented writing. They've invented writing, and right after writing, or maybe this is the, the reason for inventing writing in some cases, we start to see commercial accounts. We start to see records that goods are being moved and sold and bought, that taxes are being paid, that laws are being created to uh, establish the requirement to pay these taxes. So commerce and the state start to appear very, very early in what we would call organized, large-scale human civilizations. In fact, they're right at the core of those processes, right at the core of those emergences. And along with commerce and law, trade, taxes, the state, come other things like the invention of money. Uh, whether it's uh, in the form of coins or some other kind of token, we start to see that as well. So by around 1000 BC, we've got several major nodes of civilization, major nodes of commerce, uh, in which people are carrying out both short-distance trade and, and bulky commodities like fuel and food and long-distance trade in uh, lighter-weight, higher-value commodities like, again, uh, precious stones or gold and, and other forms of money. All of these things are starting to happening, happen at one time. But 
Uh, it's only going to be around 500, between 500 uh, BC and 100 BC that we start to see some real unification of large-scale civilizations, which are going to provide even larger opportunities for bigger and broader networks of trade. So let's turn to that next. So empires had risen and fallen since about 3000 BC, but the empire that rises by around 100 BC that comes to dominate the entire Mediterranean basin is a new type of empire in certain ways, and that's the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is bigger than other empires. It controls, governs more people, and it creates a more vibrant, diversified, and long-lasting economy. Now, interestingly enough, one of the core elements of that economy is slavery. And this is interesting, first of all, because uh, slavery develops in the Roman Empire uh, as a sort of a commercial uh, enterprise as a way to make profits from war. So war brings in captives. Captives are uh, brought by Roman generals to their, their farms, their estates in Italy, and those farms become really important commercial operations. But what happens then is that that slavery is so successful that it pushes a lot of the Roman small farmers, the Italian small farmers, into Rome and other cities. And to some extent, that dynamic happens other parts, in other parts of the empire as well. And that, in turn, creates an urban proletariat, an urban proletariat that, in some cases, makes manufactured goods, but in all cases, consumes goods. And those goods come from all over the empire. And what this then does is not only provide a market for these uh, farms in Italy that are staffed by enslaved captives, uh, it also provides a market for goods from all over the Mediterranean basin. And that sustains and enhances the returns to trade. If you're a farmer in Egypt, or you're a farmer in Spain, or a, a miner in Cornwall in southwestern uh, England, you can find a market for your goods, uh, in large part because of this diversified economy that to some extent builds upon slavery generated in turn by war. That works very well for about 200, 300 years. But for some reason, and historians have been trying to explain this ever since it happened, for some reason around 200 AD, the Roman economy starts to sputter. It slows down, it might have been climate causes, uh, there might have been a decline in temperature that hurts agriculture worldwide. It may have been driven by internal dissension. There may have been all sorts of problems. And in fact, probably all of those contribute to the eventual fall of Rome. But what is without doubt is that Rome does indeed collapse. And by the early 400s, the Western Roman Empire has ceased to exist. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Mm -hmm.